Amen. Well, good morning. It's an honor to be back with you, to open up God's word with you and share in his word as we continue to navigate this current series that Pastor James has already started. We've been talking about what it means to build a legacy of faith. And so through the first couple of weeks as he's been building us through that, um, he's taken us and, and we've kind of had a, an idea to see what it means to have this legacy and why this legacy is important in building the future of our faith, building the future of Christianity. When I think about the word legacy, there are several prominent people that pop into mind. And being a weekend of Memorial Day, we think of those people, right? Those that have gone before us, sacrificed it all, so that we have the freedoms to be here. And so uh, Mike Bell mentioned that in their, the first service, and it's a, a great reminder to us that that's what this is about, right? They put a legacy of freedom uh, that we are able to enjoy. We're talking about a legacy of faith today, but when that word legacy comes to mind, me being a, a sports fan, um, none other than Michael Jordan would come to mind, right? And so I settled a debate with the elementary kids this week. They were all LeBron, LeBron, and if you're a LeBron, LeBron supporter, that's great. We disagree. The real answer is Michael Jordan's the best basketball player ever. That's it. All right? If you disagree, that's your fault, not mine. All right. So here's how he did it. He built this legacy of being a great player because he put in hard work before. He was a practicer, right? He went in and he put in hard work and, and reps, and he had a regiment that was unmatched probably until Kobe Bryant came around. And so they had this tough regiment, and he put in the work to build a strong name for himself. The other thing he did is when it mattered, he performed well. So when the game was on the line, you wanted no one else but Jordan to have the ball in his hands, right? And so he came up with some big spots and some big shots. And because of those, his name and his legacy as a great player, as the best player, started to come to light. He also had some great success, as the, the recent movie has shown us. It's out about him now uh, with his brand, right, with his branding and who he's become. Um, but part of building a legacy, too, is he also had some downfalls. He also had some struggles. He also had some trials. And part of building that legacy uh, that is important to him and something that matters to people for years to come is how you bounce back, right? How you handle those legacies and how you move forward because of them. And I would say that he was able to, to do that pretty well. And this model is one of a legacy that other players, while Jordan was playing, tried to copy and it's a model that people and players try to copy today, and it's probably one that they'll try to copy for years to come. As we think about our legacy as Christians, what are we doing to make sure that our faith is one that not only speaks to other followers, but sets for them an example so that we directly impact their lives? See, I want us to think about us as the church. We're called to be the church. We're called to set a legacy of faith so that other people will come to know Christ and come to have their own relationship with him. And so what are we doing to make sure that that legacy is one that is solid, that one that has a foundation, and that that foundation is only Jesus and Jesus alone? I want us to think about that today. I also want to think about this today. Pastor James has started by mentioning that to build our legacy of faith, it requires developing a strong faith. So we have to know what it is we believe and why we believe it, and then we have to walk it. Then we have to put our money where our mouth is, right? And then the second part that he talked about last week is that we have to develop a strong sense of community. And I can see examples of that in this church, right? We have to make community and life together important. It has to become a priority. 
And that brings us to where we're at today, which is a focus of building a lasting legacy of faith. But we have to understand that to do so, to do so, we have to recognize God's presence. Now, here's the thing about God's presence. God's presence isn't just with us when times are good. God's presence isn't just with us when we can count our blessings. God's presence is also with us when we walk through the valleys. Amen? God's presence is always with us when we fight struggles, but a lot of times we fail to see it. And a lot of times we fail to see it because we try to handle things on our own understanding. We try to handle things with our own power, with our own will, and with our own skill set instead of relying on God's presence to lead us and guide us. So what I want us to do today is be committed as we open up this passage, being committed that whether you're here today and you feel God's presence because he surrounded you and he surrounded you with these blessings that you're walking through right now, great. Recognize that God is present and he's the reason for that. But if you're here today and you're in the middle of the valley and you're fighting through some things that are hard and they hurt and they're uncomfortable, then recognize that God's presence is there too. He hasn't left you alone He's the reason you're still standing. He's the reason you're still up and able to face it. He's the reason you're going to get through it. He's the reason all things are possible. As we think about our legacy as Christians, we need to make sure that we're building this lasting legacy of faith and that we obey God's call to minister to all people. As Taylorville Christian Church is our focus on ministering to everyone we can all groups that we can, all areas that we can. So as we look at this passage today to help us see more clearly what it means to have God's presence in our lives, we're going to be in the book of Acts. If you'd like to take out your Bible, follow along that way. It will be on the screen. We're going to start in chapter uh, 6, and we're going to be in verse 1. And as we go through this, we're going to see more clearly what it means to build a legacy of faith by recognizing God's presence in our everyday lives. When we recognize God's presence, we commit to living a life that's devoted to him, that's devoted to putting him first, putting us and our concerns on the back burner if they don't align with his plan for us. And so we're going to see today four steps briefly at how we can do this, how we can recognize and understand God's presence. So let's do this, starting in uh, verses 1 and 2, if you'd like to follow along. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, The Hellenistic Jews among them complained among the Arabic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So here's what we have. The early church, if you're aware, was growing and it was growing like crazy, like wildfire. We read that early in the book of Acts. And so we know that they have some success, and we know that they are becoming a prominent body of believers. They are becoming the church, as Christ described us to be. And so we have that taking place. And then what happens is we have the Grecians that are a part of this group, the Hellenistic Jews, and what they're saying to us is that, look, yeah, your disciples have grown past the 12, and you're you're building leadership, and you have this ministry of reaching all the nations and all the people, but you forgot somebody. So you have this great thing, and you're doing a great thing, but here's, some, here's something you didn't think about. And he said the widows, and if you read on in Scripture, the orphans, the least of these, they're being forgot about. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to show Jesus to them? Because everyone deserves Jesus, because everyone 
is offered the free sacrifice of salvation from him. And so here what we see is the first step in recognizing God's presence in our life, and that's this. We must learn to face confrontation. Now, if I took a poll this morning and we were honest, we were honest, how many of you would say, I love confrontation? Anybody? I didn't think so. A few of you were good. You're a better man than me. All right? I don't love confrontation. Now, I can handle confrontation. I don't mind facing confrontation. It's uncomfortable, but sometimes we're called to do it. But I don't like to do it. Okay? So here's the, here's the thing to think about. The disciples have been doing ministry, and they've been doing so successfully. But then some, some outsiders of their way of thinking, right? There's two sets of Jews here. One thinks this way. One thinks the other. The Grecians challenge them, and they say, look, you're doing a great job, but you forgot about this. What about the widows? Who's going to serve them? What about them? Who's going to step up? And I think about it like this. We have our AV team back there today, right? They do a great job. The first service did a great job. But we usually don't know they're here, right? Things run seamless, and we probably take them for granted. But let the microphone crack one time. Let the wrong slide go up on the screen, and what's everybody do? Right? We all give them that stare, and now we know they're here. And that's what was happening in the church. Things were running smoothly, but now here's a confrontation. How are we going to respond. We can learn a lot from the response of the disciples in this passage. You see, they could have gotten offensive. They could have fired back. The next verse could have said, and Peter turned around and punched him in the jaw. I could have said that. It didn't. And knowing Peter, likely, right? It could have happened. He was fiery. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that they turned around and got offensive about it. They could have made the rift or the differences between them even deeper. They could have dug the the wedge between them. It could have grown, but they didn't. Instead, they show us that with recognizing God's presence in the middle of confrontation and acting accordingly, we can face it and we can handle it in a productive manner. And then we'll go on to see that we can grow from confrontation. Verse 2 shows us the proper way of handling confrontation in the church. It says, the twelve gathered all disciples. So all the disciples come together. And if you know much about the early church and the early meetings, right, they didn't necessarily have the scriptures like we do, the gospels to gather around and open up and talk about. They got together, and what do you think their meetings started with? Prayer. They prayed for one another. They prayed for the church. They prayed for the direction. They laid hands on one another. They did all they could to make sure the team was a whole. And even in confrontation, even though there's differences, instead of of just spewing off hatred and And comments without thinking, they prayed about it first. They got together and they met. And I just want to pause for a moment and say this, coming from a guy who's been in uncomfortable meetings in his lifetime as a pastor, as a teacher, as an administrator, sometimes as a basketball coach. We have uncomfortable conversations, right? But I would imagine that those meetings that I I messed up on, those meetings that I probably reacted to, that it would have been a little bit different or maybe a lot different if I would have stopped and prayed about it. So I want us to think about this. If we are going to recognize the presence of God in our lives, confrontation is going to happen. How we handle confrontation is up to your level of obedience. Instead of being reactive, Scripture tells us in all things, prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God. Amen? They learned from this confrontation. They learn how to handle it properly. They learn how to do it lovingly. 
And they also learned in their ministry that the confrontation did bring out something that they were missing. It brought out something good, something that would improve them. It brought out the fact that they were missing an area of people who needed to be ministered to. It brought out the fact that none should be neglected when it comes to receiving Jesus. And they had an important ministry that was growing in the church, and they were shepherding believers, and it was time for others now to step up so they could continue to expand their ministry as well. Let's pick up in verse 3 and read through verse 4. It says this, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So they show us that when we recognize God's presence among us in ministry and doing Christian life, we will then see that our second step is this, which is to show that commitment is important. You have to be committed to commitment. I want us to think about that for just a few seconds. So the disciples confronted the problem in their ministry. They recognized an area where they needed service. They needed work. They recognized an area where they could grow their legacy of faith. And now they went to work because they were committed to making it better. When you face confrontation in your life or you recognize something that you could be doing better, are you committed to making it better? Or are we more committed to complaining? I want us to think about that day, a self-check. Are we committed to commitment of doing things better, of doing things differently if it requires us to? And selecting the seven men of faith who were capable of serving in this ministry, they not only created opportunities of new ministry to begin, but they were also allowed more time to focus on continued prayer and direction for the church. I want you to think about the local church. Think about this church, TCC. As it grows, and it will, if we continue to be in prayer about it, and we continue to be diligent about our ministries and, and what we do and following and being obedient to God's plan, I want us to, to think about it. Are you truly committed to it? And if so, how are you showing that? The seven were committed See, when commitment is made to trusting God and following God's plans for our lives, then we see other things that are important. When they became committed and they started this ministry, and instead of complaining, they got others to step up into new leadership, and now the widows are being taken care of and ministry is being done, and when that happens, the membership of faith grows. The early church blossomed across the world. And it's because they were diligent and committed to doing it. We talk about wanting growth and filling these pews and and making sure that our community is affected for Jesus, but what are we personally doing about it? Are we doing the same things that maybe don't work very well? Are we listening to new ideas? Are we understanding one another? Are we handling confrontation with love? All these things we need to think about because if we're committed and we're recognizing God's presence, then commitment to his will will become most important. If we're going to build a lasting legacy and letting people know who God is, then we have to make sure that the legacy that people receive is established and is strong. And we see from verse 4 that it can stay strong because it says this, we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. One of my favorite ministries that this church does, and again, I'm a newbie. I've only been here for about a year or so, but is that room right back there where prayer happens and where the wall is there. And I don't know how many of you see the little notes sticking out there, but maybe actually take it and pray for it or, 
or actually get involved and go back and, and pray, but we need to be a church that's built on prayer. The early church thrived off of it. The early church wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for it. We have to be a church that's built on prayer because it says this, because we're able to fill these other roles, because they didn't have to stop and serve tables and they built new leadership in, it says we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. Church, when we are committed to recognizing God's presence in our life, growth is bound to happen. Growth is bound to take place. And like the early church, it could be exponential. It could be big. As a relatively new member, I think it's still bound to happen here, depending on the, the step we take. Let's continue reading in verse 5. It says, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. While there's a lot going on right here in this passage, a plan is coming into place, a plan to grow the ministry, a plan to make an impact in other areas than where they're geographically at. They're getting ready to send the troops, if you will. And so here's what happens. As we take a look at this, the disciples are following God's plan. They're obedient. And it's going to allow these new seven, these new members to step out in their faith. And that sums up our third step, which is this. We must move forward with courage. Again, as we think about Memorial Day and we think about those who sacrificed it all, not only were they brave, but it took a lot of courage, right? It took a lot of courage to do what they did to protect our freedoms, to give us our liberties. It took a lot on their part. Most of the names in this passage on the list are probably not ones that are very familiar to you. But you may recognize a few, right? You may recognize Philip. We know his story about the him and the Ethiopian, how he was able to lead the Ethiopian unit to Christ. And you probably recognize Stephen. Stephen was selected to serve and be a leader of this group. And if you continue to read this book and maybe even into Romans, you understand that Stephen becomes a martyr for the Christian faith. And I would probably argue that he probably had a, one of the biggest impacts on the life of Paul, right? Because when before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. Saul was a persecutor of Christians. Paul, Saul happened to be the one who oversaw Stephen's stoning, Stephen's death. And I can only imagine that the courage that Stephen put out there in front of the public, in front of the crowd, in front of those who were there, had a lasting impact on Paul. In fact, we see that kind of bravery and courage Paul later in his life, right? We see that he's willing to go to death for the gospel. We see that he's willing to go and sacrifice his life for the sake of Jesus Christ. I want us to, to take a look at this. Verse 6 says, these men weren't just sent out, but it says they were prayed over and had hands laid upon them. See, our courage can become a strength when we know we have the support of those who watch over us. Our courage can become strength when we know we have people that got our back. When we are selected to lead or you're selected to be in a place of, of ministry or leadership, you probably are encouraged a little bit more, motivated a little bit more when you know you have somebody that supports you. And hopefully those people that support you are the ones that help train you. But I just want us to think about this. I have a question for us today to really ponder and consider. How many of us frequently pray for our leadership? 
And I'm not just talking about be with Pastor James and Leanne today or, or on vacation. I'm not talking about that. How many of us make it a part of our day to say, dear God, and then throw out James in prayer and really cover him in prayer? And Leanne and Janet and all the leadership, Steve, of this church, right? How committed are we to that? Because it takes a lot of courage, speaking from someone who's been in that position, to do what they do. It takes a lot of courage to be bold and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It takes a lot of courage to be willing to sacrifice family time and other things to make sure that the legacy of faith continues to grow. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And I just wonder how many of us do that. How many of us are, are sure to do that, not just for them, but do it for our local, state, national government. Because here's the thing, too. While it takes a lot of courage to, to do that, we don't have to agree with everyone to pray for them. Because if we sit here until we agree with each other before we can pray for, for each other, it'll never happen. Right? I know we don't have to like each other. We have to love each other. And we have to pray for one another, especially our leadership. We can be on opposing sides and still be one church because we can do it in love and it might take some patience and obedience along the way too because I want us to think about that are we committed to praying for them or do we just stand on the sidelines and hope that miraculously things change see the early church would have never changed unless the confrontation of hey you missed out on this group of people happened leadership's not perfect right I know I'm not perfect and so I know sometimes it takes being wrong and having that pointed out to me in a loving way to say, oh, yeah, I can grow from this. I should have considered this. I should have done this. I should have asked for help. But that starts, that recognition has roots through prayer. We have to be praying for our leadership. We have to be thankful for the courage they have to step out and to lead us, even when it's difficult to do so. This passage wraps up in verse 7. It says this, so the word of God spread... And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What an awesome passage. So the, the church is growing, ministry leaders are stepping up, but then it also says new ministers are coming to light, willing to take on new groups of people for the sake of the gospel. When we recognize God's presence as being mandatory to do ministry, mandatory to grow the church, mandatory to leave a legacy of faith and to grow and to spread our faith to others, then our desire as Christians is this. We'll be committed to doing continued ministry. That's the last step. We have to continue to do ministry when we recognize God's presence in our lives. This verse shows us as the ministry was being done and attention was focused on missed areas, the word of God spread. And the verse says the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of people surrender to the ministry. Church, when God is present and we allow his presence to dominate our presence, which let's be honest, that means we allow him to be in control of our lives instead of us calling the shots. When we surrender to his guidance and his leadership instead of what we think is best, what scripture calls our own understanding in Proverbs, when we commit to his presence being more important than ours, then we are bound to see increased and rapid numbers of people coming to Christ because it becomes less about us and all about him. Just like John 3.30 tells us. 
See, what happens when we see the acceptance of God's will and we surrender to His ways and overcome selfish desires? Growth happens. His will happens, not our will. And as we stay committed to obedience, more ministry opportunities are going to arise, which means more people are going to have to come into leadership, which means more obedience is going to happen, which means there's more area that we can cover, which means there's more opportunity to reach, to reach lost people. I don't know about you, but if it wasn't for a pastor that came into my life that started a new ministry of going around the neighborhood and grabbing these kids to go play basketball, I wouldn't be where I was at today. He didn't come around and extend and open up the gym every afternoon over the summer when he first came in. I wouldn't have had a clue about who Jesus is and what loving other people meant. And that ministry continued not just because of that pastor, but because he drew other people, lay leaders like yourselves in the pews, to come in and be in charge of those ministries and grab hold of it and know that it's important, just as important as someone being behind the pulpit. You might be the only Jesus someone sees. Are you committed to obedience? Are you committed to people receiving the gospel across the world who've yet to come and know his saving grace? Church, building a legacy of faith isn't easy. It takes sacrifice. It takes understanding. It takes service. It takes prayer. It takes happiness. It takes sorrow. It takes growth and it takes challenge. It takes victory, it takes defeat, it takes success, and it takes failure. But I want to close with one last passage that one of our teachers at VCS shared with the staff during devotion this week. And it's helpful for understanding the importance and the need of God's presence, not only in the positive times, but especially in the times when you don't know what to say. And it shows us that God's presence is there and can go out on our behalf when we allow him to. And that passage comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30, and it says this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works, to get, works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Church, our legacy of faith requires the presence of God. And it requires not only the presence of God, but it requires the presence of God to be the most important. He must become greater, I must become less. Our legacy of faith requires the presence of God. It requires us allowing God's presence to be the fulcrum in our lives that provides balance. The presence of God has to become the standard bearer in our lives. And for that to happen, we must learn to face confrontation. We must show that commitment is important. We must move forward with courage, and we must continue to do ministry. Will the legacy that you leave behind for others push them toward the cross, or will it shove them away? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it penetrates our heart. We thank you for the way that it confronts us, convicts us. I pray that we take your word and truly apply it to 
the areas of our life and personal ministry so that we can work together as one body of believers, as the church, to make sure that the legacy of faith here at TCC reaches not only each other, reaches our community, reaches the world. Lord, we know that um, tapping into your presence isn't always easy, but I pray for the strength to do so. And I pray that as a result, people will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and we will rejoice one day in heaven all together. We ask all these things in your son's precious name and all God's people said, amen.